And now, Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be pleasing and acceptable in thy sight, O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. You can be seated. We've been going through the book of Colossians, and we have been talking about how the Apostle Paul is teaching in this letter of the supremacy and the sufficiency of Christ, that spiritually speaking, Christ is all that we need, and He is supreme in everything. And then as we get to the end of this letter, Paul begins to get very practical and talking to the church at Colossae, the Christians there, the the Gentiles, uh, Gentile Christians who come out of a pagan lifestyle. Now what it means to live as a Christian in all areas of life, including our relationships, how Christ is supreme in all of life, including relationships. And what he's doing here at the uh, towards the end of this letter is he's using a form that was very familiar to people in the ancient world. Now Paul is not inventing something here when he writes about households. Um, people who were writing in this time, moralist, ethicist, would frequently talk about how a household is to be run in the ancient world. And what Paul is doing is he's talking about how a Christian household, how people who have been given this new life in Christ ought to relate to one another. And so that's what he's doing here. And as we approach this passage, some of us may wonder, how can these ancient words written in the first century and some of these words hard to hear, how can they have anything to say to us as 21st century citizens living here in America? I think a dose of humility is called for as we approach these ancient words, because our culture has not given us a shining example of family life in general that is good for human flourishing and human happiness. Just some statistics here to demonstrate that. And this certainly is not to make anyone feel guilty or to add to anyone's uh, sense of failure and pain in these very complicated areas of life. Um, We are broken people. We are sinful people. And that works its way into our relationships. And uh, I'm saying this as somebody whose parents were divorced, and I know how complicated and messy these things can be. But here are some statistics. Uh, The divorce rate is around 50% in America. Estimates show that about 40% of births In the United States now occur outside of marriage, 40% outside of marriage, that's up 28% from 1990. And some scholars point out that there is a strong link between the rate of illegitimacy 
and poverty. A report, a recent report from the U.S. government called Family Structure and Children's Health. This is from the U.S. government. It shows that the safest place for a child to live is to be with their married mom and dad. Yet, other alternative family structures are being normalized today, putting children at risk. Well, I could go in-depth on these statistics that talk about rates of abuse in different family structures. So again, my point is not to make us feel guilty or to add to pain. My point is that when we come to a text like Colossians 3, we should ask questions. We can debate how to interpret and apply passages like this. No doubt about it. We should do all those things, but we shouldn't come to it, I don't think, from a sense of, hey, we've got this figured out as moderns. Maybe it would be good for us to listen to some ancient wisdom, to listen to the Apostle Paul, what he says about Christian relationships. Amen. And what I want to do primarily is just focus on what he says about marriage today. At some point I'll come back to what he says, um, not next week, but at some point I want to do more on what Paul teaches regarding family structure, household codes here, but uh, we're just going to talk today about marriage because that's all the time I think we have. But there is a general principle that applies to all of our relationships, and it's that verse 17 where Paul says that whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, as it applies to relationship, whatever relationship you find yourself in, and whatever role you are in in this relationship, as a Christian, how you relate to other people ought to reflect the nature and character of Christ to some extent. Do it in the name representing the Lord Jesus Christ, the one who has saved you. And so that applies to all these relationships. But let's focus here primarily on the marriage relationships. And I'm going to start with what he says to husbands because that will help us better understand what he says to wives. And so, verse 19, he says this. This will help us, I think, contextualize what he's saying to wives as well. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Now, that was countercultural in Paul's day to command, to call husbands to love wives. In the first century, men in general, there were exceptions, but in the Roman Greco context in the first century, in general, husbands valued their wives primarily because they could provide legitimate heirs for them. To the extent that they could do that, they were valued. Sornus, a Greek physician who practiced in the first century, he wrote this. Women are married for the sake of bearing children and heirs, not for pleasure and enjoyment. And that was kind of the common idea. Several epitaphs written by husbands for their wives, for their tombstones, simply said, now how's this for a romance? She never gave me any reason to complain. So, that was kind of the cultural world when it came to the relationship between husbands and wives that Paul is writing into. 
What he's saying is countercultural. Husbands, love your wives. And then in Ephesians 5, and if we wanted to take a real deep dive into what Paul is saying about marriage, we would need to go to Ephesians 5, but we don't have time for that today. But in Ephesians 5, Paul talks about how a husband ought to love his wife. And he says, as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Christ loved the church so much that he willingly laid down his life on the cross, willing to be rejected and beaten and tortured and nailed to the cross of wood out of love for his people in order to save them. And Paul is saying, husbands, that's what your love needs to look like for your wife. Die to yourself for the good of her. And so here's a question for the husbands here to ask themselves. What, was that, what would that look like to do that for your wife? What does that look like in your marriage? To die to your own desires and to sacrifice your own comfort and your own convenience for her. That's something that current husbands need to think about and would-be husbands ought to consider. This is the depth of love that we're called to as Christian husbands. And then he says in Ephesians 5, again, I want to reference that passage, that husbands ought to love their wives as their own body. No one despises, he says, their own body, but cherishes his body and nourishes his body. And so a Christian husband should ask, what does it mean for me to nourish my wife? To nourish her spiritually, physically, emotionally, what does that look like? How can I cherish my wife? How can I express that in word and deed? That I cherish her. Now Paul, he does believe, based on the order of creation, and this is referencing again Ephesians 5, he does believe in, an, in the order of creation that the husband has unique responsibility and authority, but it's an authority to love, you see, not dominate. It's an authority not to subjugate, but to serve, to build up, not to tear down. That's, again, countercultural. And that's what Paul has introduced here into a Christian view of marriage. There's an author named Paul Miller, a Christian author, who I find very helpful. And he um, has talked about the time when he really started to learn to love his wife, Jill, after many years of marriage. They were starting to drift apart. He was a busy minister, writer, tra he traveled various conferences while they were raising their four children. And one of these children... Um, required real intense care and most of the burden for that care at this time fell on his wife Jill and in the midst of his busy schedule and work they began to drift apart and he says he remembers one evening this was the kind of the critical moment in their marriage when as they were going up the stairs his wife Jill turned to him and said Paul do you love me and Kind of like Jesus asking Peter that. Do you love me? And Paul said, of course I love you. Well, she asked him three times. Just like Jesus and Peter. And he said, every time she asked, I got more and more offended. 
and more and more angry and more defensive. But then she just walked away. And there was no conversation about it. And it left him thinking, why is she saying this? And he realized he was deficient in demonstrating love to his wife. And so he decided that he would take a sabbatical and study the life of Jesus to learn how to love his wife. And so he took a sabbatical and he just began to read the Gospels and study how Jesus interacted with people. And he noticed how Jesus took time with people. He said, I was being more efficient than Jesus in terms of how I interacted with people. But Jesus took time with people. We saw that in our Gospel reading with Zacchaeus, that Jesus, he doesn't pass Zacchaeus by. He stops. He looks at him. And then he, he says, Zacchaeus, I'm going to go. He invites himself over. I'm going to enter into your world, Zacchaeus. And Paul Miller said, I began to see how Jesus interacted with people, how he demonstrated love. He saw them. And he entered into their world. And he said, that's how God began to teach me to respond to my wife, to see her and to incarnate love, to descend into her story. And to enter her world. And so I think that's a great illustration. And in fact, it was very helpful to me. And I'm still trying to learn to do this. I mean, this is a lifelong process, isn't it? Learning to love. Whether you're married or not. Learning to love like Jesus. Is a lifelong process. But that story was helpful to me. We need Christ. Husbands, men. We need Christ, not just his example, but his spirit to love like this. To ask him by his spirit to help us to love. Especially if we're married, our wives. In a self-sacrificial way. And ask the Holy Spirit to help us. What does that look like on a day-to-day basis? And so that's what Paul is calling the, the husband to do. And they, he says, love your wife. Don't, don't be harsh with her. And that is an interesting translation. It can be translated in different ways. It could be translated this way. The root of the Greek word has to do with bitterness. And it could be, don't make her bitter. Or it could be, don't be embittered towards her. Because one thing that can happen in marriage over time when expectations aren't met is bitterness can creep in. And then the temptation for the man would be to lash out in harsh anger or to withdraw in bitter silence. And the rift grows. There's a better way, and that is the way of Christ. That is the way of love. That's what Paul calls us to. And so let's now circle back to what he says to wives. And he uses this controversial word, doesn't he? Submit. Wives, submit to your husbands as in the Lord. Now, notice, very important. It's not women submit to men. That's not what Paul says. Whatever submission is, it's in this context of this loving relationship between a husband and a wife. So, however you define it, it's in that context. It's not women submit to men. It's wives. 
It's about wives and husbands. So I want to point that out. And then there's another thing that I think is very important to point out. That what Paul is calling for here is voluntary. People who know Greek grammar better than I do, and it doesn't take a whole lot, but the, the people who know Greek better than I do say the, the form of this verb implies a voluntary action. It's not the same force of children obey your parents here. This is not something that's coerced. It's something that's voluntary. Jill Briscoe makes this point. She says, in a time when many wives did not have many choices, Paul is giving wives the dignity of choice. He was after a heart attitude, a spirit of humility by choice, not coercion. Wives, be willing to voluntarily submit, as is fitting to the Lord. So, in other words, this, this attitude of humility towards the husband is something that flows from your relationship to the Lord. All of our interactions with everybody ought to be fitting in the Lord, ought to reflect something of our relationship with Christ, our knowledge of who Christ is, ought to be reflected in how we relate to other people. And Christ, one of the attributes of Christ, was this humility and this willingness to submit even to his father's will to the point of death upon the cross. Now, there are other aspects of Jesus's character, right? There, 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 is, there are times, of course, where he was very bold and very courageous and very clear-sighted. Well, he was always very clear-sighted and he was always clear about what his purpose was and he did not ever shrink away from the truth. He was bold and courageous, but he was also humble. And so our relationships with all people, this is not just applying now to husbands and wives, ought to reflect some facets of the character of Christ who has saved us. But he says to the wife, this is fitting to the Lord. In other words, this attitude of humility reflects the character of Christ who humbled himself for the good of others. As is fitting to the Lord. This is not unlimited submission. Jesus is Lord, not the husband. As is fitting to the Lord Jesus. A wife ought not to submit to a husband who asks her to sin. And this has been a problem in the church. If a husband is abusive, verbally or physically, that husband, that Christian husband, has abdicated his authority. He is not acting as a Christian husband. The wife does not need to submit to him. The wife needs to get safe. And the church needs to help in that when that situation arises. So this submission is voluntary. This submission is something that flows from a relationship with the Lord. This submission is not unlimited. What then does it mean? What does it mean to take this posture of humility towards the husband in marriage? Well, Paul doesn't give any specifics at all, does he? <laughs> There's no list here. There's no rules here. There's no ten steps to this at all. And... And that's because this is a, a very flexible 
principle that can be worked out in different cultures at different times and is something that is between the husband and the wife in marriage and their understanding of all this and their relationship with Christ. So, I mean, there's, there's kind of cultural overlays that we've placed on this. You know, like an old school interpretation or application would be something like, this means the wife has to stay home with the kids and clean the house and do the cooking and not the husband. That's not what Paul says. Right? That's, again, that's a cultural application of this. Or the husband then has to make all the important decisions and has to be involved in all the important matters because he's the head of the home. Well, Paul doesn't say that either. That's something can be negotiated within marriage. Remember when Josie and I first got married, I thought, well, I have to pay the bills. I have to be responsible for the finances because I'm, I'm the man. And so uh, I was in graduate school at the time. I had a lot of responsibilities and I tried to start off paying the bills. And then I found out that uh, there's these things called late notices and second late notices. And my mailbox was stack was getting higher and higher. I said, honey, I don't think this is a good idea. You take <laughs> Could you do this? And, and she's been doing it ever since. And that's a good thing for the Wagner household. So, you know, how these things get applied is, is something that's worked out in the context of the marriage relationship. The psychologist, uh, Dr. Julie Slattery, has an interesting take on this word submission. She says, submission is not about me being weak, but about me becoming aware of my power as a woman. She says, think about it this way. And she gives a couple examples. She said, the strongest man who ever lived, Samson, was overcome by the power of a woman. Of course, his own sin led him into that as well. But her point is, is that, as she puts it, God's instruction to submit to my husband asks me the question, what am I doing with my power as a woman in this marriage? And so a Christian wife could ask herself that. You know, is, what's the pattern of my relationship with my husband? And is, is there a tendency to, to manipulate to my end and not consider him and what's good for him and what's good for our marriage as a whole? You know, he's the head, but I'm the neck and I can turn him any way I want kind of thing. Am I, am I willing to yield to humble myself for the good of the marriage. So all these relationships that Paul mentions here in these household codes, in a, codes and again, he's not inventing this. This is, this is something that, that was talked about in the first century, these household rules. But all these relationships are about power, aren't they? And they involve an imbalance of power. And... I like what Kevin Miller, who's an Anglican priest up in the Wheaton area, did with this passage. He says that what, what Paul is doing is, he, is he's taking these relationships, which all involve an imbalance of power, and he's redefining how power is used according to Christ. How this is infused with Christ. So these imbalance, these relationships where there's an imbalance of power, they already exist in society. But what Paul is doing is introducing the gospel into this power imbalance. And he's not calling for a social revolution to blow up these relationships. But what he does teach actually is revolutionary. He's saying that when you are in a place of power, 
Don't abuse it. But use it to benefit other people. And when you are in a place of less power, don't be tempted to do what you might want to do, which is to manipulate and slander and tear down. But think about what's beneficial to all. And remember that the Lord is the judge over all these relationships. That all of us are going to have to be accountable to God for how we relate to other people. Paul teaches that, doesn't he, when he talks about slaves and masters, servants and masters. And so he's, as Kevin Miller says, defanging this power imbalance and introducing a principle that has led to greater human flourishing when it's applied according to the Spirit of Christ. If there was ever a time when the world needs to see harmonious human relationships based not on power struggle but on, on mutual love, mutual give and take, humility on both sides, a willingness to build others up and to give up my rights. If there is ever a time when the world needs to see those kind of relationships, relationships adorned with the gospel of Jesus Christ, it's now. I mean, that's what we're fighting about in society. Power is everywhere. Power struggles. And may God help us to grow into this. Several weeks ago, we had a gathering at our at our house of families here from the church. And in this, at this gathering, there were some non-Christian young people there, invited by somebody in the church. And uh, these non-Christian young people, some of them have come from very difficult family situations. And they got to observe how Christians were interacting. Husbands and wives, parents and children, Men and women were interacting in this, at this gathering. And they're just seeing a snapshot, right? They're not seeing everything. We're not perfect. But they were so taken with the interaction that they said to the person who invited several times afterwards, with tears in their eye, how great it was to see people loving each other like this, interacting. It was just enough of a contrast that it that it stirred something in their hearts and minds. They got to see a snapshot of loving relationships between people who were different from one another. How we relate to one another in marriage, in family, in the church, it's a witness. It's a witness that can bring glory to God when everything we do is done in the name of the Lord Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, I pray that you would help us to think about whether we're married or not, how we relate to other people, and whether we are in a position of power and authority or not in that relationship, how the gospel might help us navigate those relationships. And I pray especially for married couples here. I pray for myself. I pray for my marriage and my family that you would help us to grow into a deeper place of understanding how to apply this, of loving one another for your glory. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well,